This is Jen Gerson and Matt Gurney with The Line Podcast. Lots to talk about today. Uh, updates on the situation in the Middle East and a scary but ultimately benign incident here at home. The media now increasingly subsidized by you, the taxpayer. The CRTC offers reassurance that is not at all reassuring. And Christopher Freeland got on Jen Gerson's nerves. All that and more on this episode of The Line Podcast. Well, this was an exciting week. Um, you know, personally, I'm just very happy that we have something else on our list besides Hamas and Israel. Well, you know what? I mean, let's actually just say right as we get going here, uh, as we're recording this on Friday, uh, hostages uh, are being released back to Israel. Looks like 13 of them. It also looks like a, a surprise side deal that I didn't know was happening. So Hamas had seized a bunch of Thai nationals uh, who are workers, like they're manual laborers in Israel. So it looks like there was some kind of side deal to release a bunch of these guys, according to reports. But based on the reports I've seen uh, today in the last hour, 13 Israelis have been released, including uh, mostly elderly, but some kids, and in one case, a mother with her child, uh, or maybe two cases. I, I showed you pictures a week or two ago, and I tweeted them as well, about a, a gigantic milk carton in uh, Midtown Toronto as kind of a, a protest uh, by those demanding the release of the hostages. There were eight kids on this gigantic, you know, the missing kid milk mm-hmm, carton, mm-hmm. right? Um, eight ten Pats, United States, 1970s, I think. Of those eight kids, two are now confirmed to be released. So this has just happened in real time when we're recording this. I don't know the status of any of these people, but thank God those kids are out. I hope more come, but thank God that's all I've got. Uh, another news, in other news, the the war the war continues and it continues in its usual terrible fashion. And on that note, we can begin to turn our parochial, solipsistic, navel gazing eyes back to Canada because we actually had a news event in Canada this week that that generated some international interest and that Probably was next to Canada really really close really close to well close enough really I mean Niagara Falls New York. here yep Niagara um, Falls big explosion at the Rainbow Bridge uh at the uh, I believe the northbound uh customs area heading into Canada at the Niagara Falls Bridge now Matt what was your first thought when you saw that there had been an explosion at that particular location? Bomb. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of us did assume that given, especially where tensions are uh, in Canada and the United States, and myriad issues, really, yeah. take your pick. Uh, border crossing, the pictures looked really spectacular. The debris field looked something way beyond a normal car crash. A lot of us immediately thought, well, this is some kind of bomb terrorism, four lions mess up kind of thing happening here. And a lot of us went with that assumption. Um, many of us also were smart enough not to tweet about it. So <laughs> I would like to give myself some credit for once for not tweeting, because that's not actually what it turned out to be. Matt, what did it turn out to be? Uh, just, I mean, I'll answer that, but just to walk you through my own thought process on this, mm-hmm. you and I are both trained in newsrooms mm-hmm. initial reports are almost always wrong yes that's, but then but but within the context of a newsroom it's also very normal to speculate on initial reports wildly you just oh, yeah. don't you just don't you just don't publicize those initial speculations. yeah no you, like you hear a thing has happened and you start to figure out immediately what, what is the, the low end 
yeah. explanation for this? What is the maximum end explanation for this? And then you start thinking through all of them. So when mm -hmm. I heard that there had been some kind of explosion or fire at the border crossing, it occurred to me immediately that like low end is some guy had not taken proper care of his engine and it like went poof. And then there was a lot of smoke coming out of it. High end is that someone had driven like an Oklahoma city style truck yeah. bomb into it. And then we kind of, and then I just started looking for pictures and I want to give a shout out to the the local news guys in Buffalo uh, TV stations and newspapers there. They kicked ass. They were great this week. They so did good. good coverage on this, uh, but their, their first video and uh, photos from the scene showed a lot of smoke, a lot of fire, and a lot of scatter. You've already mentioned this. The debris was scattered over mm -hmm. a, a wide area. And I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, it takes a lot of energy to disassemble a car. Like, And there's only a few things that could be. And a high-energy impact is one of them. But at the time, there were no reports of a high-energy impact. It was that a car inside had been stopped and had been sent into the screening area, and then all of a sudden it's scattered everywhere and there's a lot of fire. What we eventually found out was that this was a traffic accident outside of the border control area, and somehow the car was going so fast, and we don't know, honestly, we don't know if it was a medical issue, if it was an impaired driving issue, we don't know, but someone had a traffic accident in Niagara Falls, New York, and their car flew at a high rate of speed into Literally the into area. The, the bay, the bay. hazard actually, style, like what, yeah. What of some of the video that is pretty spectacular. Insane. So I will also admit that uh, when I started to hear the eyewitness reports coming out, which said there was a couple eyewitness reports that said something to the effect of we saw a car basically speeding in here and and at 100 miles an hour and hit 30 miles an hour height into this. Initially, I was really skeptical of those um, eyewitness reports. Firstly, because eyewitness reports are pretty typically. Wrong. They're usually wrong. Um, people usually don't see what they think they see and they misremember things. Also, eyewitness reports are very rarely reliable on things like speed and height. Mm -hmm. um, so initially, I kind of discounted that when, yeah, maybe, I don't think so. Plus, also, it sounded too spectacular. That just sounded way too Hollywood to me. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But then the video came out. I was like, all right, well, area man, you got... You 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 win the day. Well done. Yep. And also the fact that somebody was able to identify it as a Bentley going that fast. Like, don't get me wrong. If you're a car nerd, you'll be able to yeah, identify yeah. a Bentley. But if you're not a car nerd, the, the idea that you could actually identify the make and model of the car at, at that kind of speed is pretty remarkable. So I, I you know, do credit to where due credit is due. Um, Area Man has has won the day. So anyway, this whole thing played out over the course of the day. I think like most terrifying. When it looked like a bombing at a border oh. crossing at the start of the Thanksgiving weekend, I was thinking, myself, well, there goes our export-based economy. Yeah, uh, right, right. Yeah. However, um, as we were all glued to the news, we were all like watching what was going on. We were all speculating privately as to what was going on. And then it started to come out that this was probably some kind of either tragic accident or and or Yahoo. Uh, and everybody put out a bit of a sigh of relief. But Pierre Polyev made yeah. a comment at some point during this day and he's getting shit for it. Matt, what was the comment? The comment was in the house of commons. Uh, I've pulled up the Hansard record and forgive, uh, forgive me line video viewers. I'm going to be, I'm not going to be looking at the screen right now. Let me see. Uh, here it is. I've got the Hansard uh, debate right up in front of me that the transcript. Um, so there was all the usual stuff, uh, opening statements from members. And then uh, Mr. Polyev, the leader of the opposition, says, 
Mr. Speaker, we just heard media reports about a terrorist attack at the border in Niagara. Two people may have been killed and a third injured. Can the Prime Minister give us any information about this terrorist attack? And then the Prime Minister uh, stood up and made a, a fairly uh, measured uh, statement. And then Mr. Polyev um, a- added on to that, and this was was minutes later. Mr. Speaker, we've just heard media reports of a terrorist attack Uh with an explosion at the Niagara crossing of the Canada U.S. border, at least two people are dead and one person is injured. It is the primary principal responsibility of the government to protect the people. Can the prime minister give us an update on what he knows and what action plan he will immediately implement to bring security home for uh, our people? So bring it home. He's building in the statement. And then the prime minister um, replied and then uh, blah, 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 and said, I have to go. I have to go get a briefing, which is fine. Yeah. Mr. Polyev is getting uh, roundly criticized on social media for well, not just social media because he got he got a, another he got a bit of a gotcha question I think either later that day and next I don't day. I think, yeah we'll get the, to the next day basically someone I forget who one it was Paul at CP Paul at CP okay basically gotcha question questioned him on it didn't didn't they basically trying to give him there was an attempt to give him hell for using the word terrorist attack. I I'm going to be frustratingly nuanced okay. on both sides of this. Go for it. <clears throat> I think Mr. Polyev made an imperfect but ultimately not that bad mistake in the house and I think a reporter asked him an awkward but not that bad question mm-hmm. but because we live in the era we live in this is basically kicked off a crusade of the assholes. Right. Yes, I think that is exactly correct. That's what I was trying to set up here. So can I just say, like, saying that this was terrorism, according to media reports, in the initial few minutes, if not hours of us knowing about this, I don't think that that is an indefensible mistake. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's a, sorry, that is a totally defensible, that was an accurate, that was was a totally defensible mistake. Um, yes, he's giving the prime minister hell about it, asking for instantaneous response, which was maybe unfair, but yeah, you well, you know, all he had to do and look, I, I'm not here to give free comms advice to the conservatives, but all he had to do is go, Mr. Prime Minister, media, uh, Mr. Speaker, there have been media reports of, um, of, a of a terror attack and an explosion at, uh, the Niagara border crossing, which is true at the time it was true. And he could have said, can the prime minister update Canadians? And then the prime minister goes, blah, blah, blah. Yes, we've heard about this. We're very concerned. And then Mr. Polyev can basically go, you know, Mr. Speaker, the prime minister's primary obligation to Canadians is, is to their safety. What can can his government assure us like that we are ready for this? Like he could have done it, but he's Pierre Polyev and he never goes in at an eight when he can go in at 56 instead. Like this guy always turn like he's way worse than Spinal Tap. He doesn't turn it up to 11. He just builds new speakers and turns it up even higher. He has to learn to restrain that impulse, especially if he's going to be the next prime minister. And, but it's and also it's not easy, that big a deal. But also at the same time, that's an easy that's an easy point to make in hindsight. Like when you're in the like, hey, if this actually had turned out to be a terrorist attack, the Canadian government would have needed an expansive and detailed response very, very quickly to respond to it. Otherwise, you know, as you said, goodbye our export business, right? Like, if this had been the worst case scenario, as it might have been when he made that comment, yeah, okay, was it fair to necessarily expect Justin Trudeau to come up, like, off the cuff with 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 an action plan? Probably not. But the question wouldn't have seemed as unreasonable as it does in hindsight. 
Um, Why am I more cautious on Twitter than the leader of the opposition is in the House of Parliament? The House of Commons. Personality. Personality. Yeah, I think that's personality. <laughs> yeah, it's what I'm coming down to. I oh, am uh, more, by nature, cautious than the guy who is likely to be yeah, the Yeah, but, but you're not more cautious than half the media. Hurry. Like, sorry, you're I, more, I didn't get it. You're, you're not more cautious. There. Sorry, he's not more, more cautious than half the media. Like, lots and lots of very mainstream media was going full on terrorist attack. Is this a terrorist attack? They were mostly, they were mostly careful what they said in public. You and I are in the group chats. The public statements were more muted. A little bit, but like there were the word terrorism was being used on supers and not just by Fox. So, you know, I, I as I said, I yeah, you, you were more careful, but most of the mainstream media certainly hells was certainly wasn't. So I don't know. To me, this is this is all a bit of a nothing burger. This is all a complete non-story. And the continued going after Polyev for using the word terrorism in this context strikes me as extremely pathetic. But honestly, my sense is pretty close to yours that I, I think if I was doing after action work up on this for the conservative leader, if I'm part of his staff, I probably go to him, boss, you could have said basically the same thing, but 10 percent more cautious and avoided a bad news cycle. Like you've got yeah, to learn sure. to like that's a media training opportunity. And I don't think Polyev did well in this. But I also look at the reaction of uh, certain individuals to his comment. And what this is to me is desperation because we're well past the point where Mr. Polyev's polling lead can be explained by it's a, it's a weird poll or it's a glitch or it's this or that. The guy has built up a pretty stable lead and we're going to start seeing everything, including a few kitchen sinks thrown at him by a fairly predictable list of people to try and do some damage. But here's the thing. There's another product. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. You you always know that a leader is doing well or an, or, or an emerging leader is doing well when they start throwing uh, conspiracy theories at him. And and in particularly dumb criticisms. Yeah. And yeah. Right. Like, was he perfect here? No. Do I actually care 24 hours later? No. And will anyone else who is considering voting for him? No, you know, you know who? Yeah, I mean, no. look, as ever, Jen, you know who's really upset about this? The people who aren't voting for him. You know who thinks yeah. he did fucking great? The people who yeah. are voting for him. Yeah. You know exactly. who doesn't really care that much? The people who haven't made up their minds yet. Yeah. And I think, but I mean, it's it's like, like I said before, I'm going to be frustratingly nuanced on this one because I think in our current day and age, coming out and going, I don't think it's a huge deal, but I also think Polyev could have done better is going to be a polarizing statement and it shouldn't be, but it will be. And I also think the next well, day, when... the middle ground is always going to be the most polarizing statement because you're going to take get enemies from both sides. Now, isn't it? Yeah. And I also don't like the people in the middle with me. So I've had to call the herd a bit. Um, yeah. It's just basically you and me back to back guns and toe now, isn't I, it? At the top of the hill shooting down. And I'm a lot taller than you, which means my head is exposed from behind. Absolutely. Um, but I'm more reckless than you, which means that I often get shot her first. I've noticed. Um, the other thing I would say uh, on the on the the complete lack of nuance part, I thought the question Paula uh, asked the the day after was fine, but I think it fits the pattern of what you and I have talked about before, which is that Canadian media does not yet know how to ask Pierre Polyev a question. Mm-hmm. They're still handling him like it's Stephen, a, a truculent Stephen Harper or one of his spicier ministers. Mm-hmm. They, and 
I, I'm going to repeat what I've repeated before. Okay. I mean, I, I actually, sorry, Jen, like, let's actually contextualize this a bit. Okay. Paula asked, basically, do you think it was responsible to have asked the question? And Polyev goes, hey, you're from CP. You're the guys who had to issue three corrections on one article you've written about me. And I hope you're not going to screw up whatever you write about me today. And then he basically goes, no, I quoted the media. I said media reports had said. I quoted CTV. Now, there's actually some ambiguity about that. I've looked at the timeline. I don't think CTV had made their terrorism report yet. I think he was mm -hmm. going off Fox News. I also don't give a shit. Like, to me, like, oh, the conservative leader got a headline from Fox News. Everybody with an internet connection in the free world saw the Fox News headline because yes. it got retweeted everywhere. Yes. And I, I don't care. I don't think that's a relevant issue. But what Polyev did is what he's always going to do and what you and I have talked about him doing so many times. He was like, oh, I've been asked a question, but it's an opportunity for me to kick the media. Yep. And I'm going to do it. Yep. And he's going to keep doing it. And I don't like it, but I'm also, nobody asked me what I think. You know what I mean? Like, I don't get a vote on this. This is the conservative strategy. And I can sit around here and tell everybody how sad it makes me. Or I can accept this is the operating environment we live in and adapt. And also, can, can I also just say, like, there, the, there's a reason why he does this. And this is because he's 40% in the polls and support for media as a group is 12. Like, yeah. he's king shit of Turd Island and we're the AV nerds. Okay. And you have to understand that. There's a reason, the reason why he kicks the media is because A, the people whom he's trying to appeal to absolutely love it because they hate him, hate us just as much as they do. Um, and the normies who aren't really paying that close of attention aren't going to penalize him for it because they're not going to see it. They're not paying that close attention. So, okay. So, look, this, I waited for the is, record. This is, this, is, this is a winning strategy here. I literally yeah. have my Starfleet combat mm -hmm. within easy reach and I'm yeah. still offended to be compared to the AV nerds. That's bad. Um, I'm a Trekkie, excuse me. That's a higher cut of, in, of social outcasts. In the background, you will see my multiple collection of fountain pen inks to go with my fountain pen collection. Yeah, okay. So we're we're not... That's bad, but that's still not AV Club bad. And shout out and love to all our AV Club subscribers. We love you. Please support the line. Nobody nobody from the AV no. Club subscribes to the line. Don't be ridiculous. We can trash them with impunity here. This I'm going to bet we have a small cadre of AV Club types who are subscribers and who are also devoted enough to listen to every word and are going to be well, well we'll be hearing from them i think the main point though is and i think you and i are aligned on this one this is a strategy by pierre polyev and like I, I i'm beyond being offended by it like again i already said i don't like it i wish he wouldn't do this but no one asked me like this is what they're doing and i think it's going to work yes and it I is think going to work I think it's it is work. working. It's all, yeah. it's working. You're right. It's it I think part of it's the reason that you've said, which is that it, when it comes down, like, yeah, there are like Pierre Polyev's negatives look a lot healthier than our collective industry negatives. 100%. I think there's a lot of denial in the Canadian oh, media about how ever. much we're hated. And I also think even among some of the ones who, who view this the way we do and understand that we are hated, don't know what to do with it. And I'm actually going to propose the exact same thing I have proposed over and over. How do you deal with Pierre Polyev? You Pierre Polyev him. You ask simple, straightforward questions, and you repeatedly insist on an answer. I keep on saying, like, watch how Ben Shapiro destroys people on YouTube. 
and try to put yourself in the in the, the shoes of the poor young 20 something with yellow hair who's going to approach a Ben Shapiro that's about abortion. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's the way you need to approach Pierre. How would you do that? If you were, he approaches the media. It's how he approaches the media. And once you understand that that's how he's approaching the media, he's approaching it in exactly the same way that these Candace Owen, Ben Shapiro, Ben Walsh people have built careers for themselves by X destroys, blah, 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 blah. That's his, that's his strategy. So uh, Study that strategy, understand it, and figure out how to approach it. Instead um, of, I want to, and I don't say this to pick on Paula, who's a great reporter and I like her, um, but yeah. I'm going to say that instead of going up to the microphone and being like, Mr. Polyev, was it irresponsible of you to say this? Walk up to the microphone and go, Mr. Polyev, you called this a terror incident yesterday. It wasn't. Which media sources were you citing? Or, Mr. Polyev, you called this a terror incident. It turns out it wasn't. Uh, uh, do you wish to walk that statement back? Simple, non-narrative. You just ask him a question, you let him answer it, and if he evades it, you just hit him again with the exact same question and follow up. That is how you have to interview a guy like Polyev because he's going to interview you right back. Yeah. And we're yep. not ready for that as an industry. Nope. We're not ready nope. for that. And I don't know I don't know if you've seen the full exchange between Paula and um I think it's Paul, at least. It sounded like her voice. I hope I hope it is, because if not, I owe her an apology now. Uh, ugh, I probably should have fact-checked that before. Whoever it was, was in a situation where by the end of it, he's going, CTV reported this. If it was wrong, have you asked them to explain why? Do you, are, are you criticizing them? She had no response to that. And he's like, wow, CP and C- provides content to CTV. That must be really awkward for you media people. You better get figure that out. She didn't have a ready response to that. And the problem, as far as I'm concerned, is that I would have been able to predict that was coming because Mm -hmm. I think, and I'm not saying this as a flex over any of my colleagues here. I just think I've made peace with what he's doing and I've factored it into my expectations. But also, and I'm I'm not trying to to shit on any of our colleagues here. They're doing a much harder harder job than we do like they have to actually go oh, yeah, they're in live. these scrums they're live and they're 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 on the floor in ways that we're not we have the luxury of sitting back two degrees and writing our little stupid think pieces about macedonian statues i'm not i'm not i'm not front and center on this every single day so like People who don't follow I, I, you on twitter have no idea what that's in reference to yes i know but they soon will and it's going to be very funny um but anyway, like, so I have a high, high respect for the fact that they're doing something that I probably couldn't do myself. And that, like, I, I'm owning that. I accept that about myself. I'm providing, uh, I, I, we're, we're like Don Cherry and like the people in the, in the, in the box sitting here providing uh, after action analysis. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're not actually the people grunting on the field. So you know, I'm not disrespecting the people in the field, but I am noting from the after action analysis that this is a trap that, that us in the media are falling into again and again. So adapt or die, adapt or die. Yeah, Yeah. that's exactly right. So anyway, on that note on how popular we are and how much you love us, like, and subscribe us at the line, show us, show us that that we're wrong and that you're one of us. Leave us a glowing, especially if you're an AV guy and we need to now kiss your ass a bit. I want to say for the record, I'm sure many of the people who help us stitch together these podcasts every week have an AV background. We love you. We value you. We we do. Like, subscribe, leave a glowing review, smash that like button, sign up for a paid account at the line, help us pay our bills, uh, make a donation, basically do everything in your power to make our lives better. Because if our lives aren't great, we're look at, look at, look at where we're starting from, man. Like we're doing our best, but 
We're just, we're all doing our best, Jen. Um, so you want to talk tax credits? Tax credits. Okay, Speaking so we on, are on, on, we're going to talk the fall economic statement in a broader sense later, but this is something we want to, it was in the fall economic statement and we want to talk about it separately because we think it matters. Yeah, absolutely. So tax credits for journalism. Um, I'm not going to bore you with a lot of uh, numbers exactly, but just further to the note of uh, the general public doesn't like us and the liberals are falling in the estimation of the general public. The liberals decide that the best way to respond to this is to give more money to the people the general public hates. Uh, this is clearly in response to the failures of C-18. Yeah. Um, they fucked it up. They fucked it up. C-18 was a disaster. We can no longer post news on Meta. We're probably not going to be able to post news on Google soon. Uh, this is going to have a catastrophic impact on traffic for all Canadian media and probably an existential on that Google clock. Yeah, I know. And probably an existential threat for new startup media who are going to be in a position where it's going to be harder and harder to establish a name brand or a presence or an audience in an environment where you can't share our content on social media. Yeah, that's no, fine. Everything's great. Everything's great. Everything's fine. Um so as a response, as a response to fucking everything up, the government had has, has announced in its economic statement that it's going to increase the labor tax credit, I believe, to 35% of up to a certain amount for yeah. every journalist. So I think it works out to be something like $28,000 for every staff is, is the max. Up to the max. Yeah. Up to the max. Um, and this just takes us further and further on the road toward creating a, a a media ecosystem in which effectively everyone is subsidized in some form or the or another by the federal government which is super healthy uh, and will absolutely contribute to uh, how the credibility that the general public sees us in and how much they like us i would like to also take this opportunity to note that in terms of non-government funded journalists it's you it's me it's holly and who else Wells, Justin Ling. Wells, Justin Ling, Glavin. Yeah. Um, I mean, and look, I mean, all of our hands are a little bit dirty. Uh, you do work for CBC. Yeah, I do the occasional panel for CBC. Absolutely. Uh, anyone these days who's freelancing is going to newspaper, in theory, some of that cash comes from the government. So our hands aren't completely bloodless. But, but the like, line, there's there's no. blood there's bloodless as they can possibly be operating yeah. in a totally compromised environment. Yeah, that's about it. Yes. We've done our so, best to not get wrapped up in this, but I don't know where all the money I'm paid with comes from at this point. No, exactly. And it's impossible to trace. So the other fundamental the, problem the with all of this- The line has not accepted a penny. We have no, not the line has not accepted a penny and we never will. Um, we have never advocated for our particular outfit to be like, to apply to, to us, even though it, the way that the rules are structured on a lot of this stuff fundamentally disadvantages startups in, in, in very obvious ways. We've applied for the opposite, though, Jen. Like, it's not even, like, I, I want to be more explicit about this. Jen and I have not s just refused to try and access the booty here. We have argued for the booty to go away. Yes, we, we've we argued against this to exist. We are actively argue, argued both in the Senate and the House and in public multiple places, multiple times, that this is bad for the journalism environment, that you are going to create a journalism ecosystem that is boring stayed uh and fundamentally unimaginative unimaginative uninnovative in uninnovative non-innovative uninnovative in a 
Um, anyway, bad. Anyway, it's going to be boring, bad. And also the fundamental problem is that whenever you have a, a system that is is reliant or dependent on government credit, tax credits, funds, regulations, whatever it is, you're creating uh, an economic incentive for the government that is providing those funds. And I have listened to so many journalists and leaders of journalism claim to the high heaven that C-18 was not going to compromise their journalistic integrity. And then you spend 30 seconds looking at how they covered C-18 and you're like, bullshit. (laughs) You can't, you can't, that is not credible. That is not credible. So the fantasy narrative that somehow having, you know, 35% of your labor costs be write-offs under, 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 under the, the government isn't going to create an economic incentive for every single journalist in the country to see the perpetuation of a liberal government. That's, that's not, that is not a sustainable claim that, that, that is not hold up to any kind of factual reasoning or analysis. And even if I think that individual journalists aren't going to see it that way and individual journalists are going to uh, uh, take their integ- integrity very seriously and continue to do the best job they can, you know, the people who cut the check ultimately make the rules. We have to be seen to be above reproach. We have to seem to be above yeah. reproach. We and understand that when we're talking about conflict of interest of politicians, we don't, yeah. we very pointedly don't understand that when we, when we're talking about ourselves. Yeah. Look, I've told this story before, but I had to report once after I interviewed a guy uh, on a topic I found interesting and reported him and he sent me a gift card and thanks after I had to report that to management and go through a whole process because of the possibility of a conflict of interest that I had a financial stake in this. I have had to not not write columns on issues that I thought were interesting because a family member had a tertiary financial stake in a company. Like we, we all understand that it's not just about being on the right side. You have to be so obviously on the right side of this issue that yeah. no one can question it. But C18 comes along. Desperation makes people do funny things, but I'll actually be a little darker even than you. Cause you said a minute ago, that you think that it could create like kind of like a boring, um, non, non-innovative uh, media environment. I'm actually going to take out a more maximalist position. Even if every uh, C-18 dollar and Canada, Canadian news fund uh, dollar was spent to spectacularly positive effect, it still is tainted from the beginning. Yeah. It, like, it, the optics damage alone exceeds any possible benefit because work produced under this money will not be credible work. And I'm not saying this to undermine the people doing the work. I get it, guys. I know most of you on a first name basis. It's not your work I'm questioning. It's the public's ability to assume that it is transparent. And I had to spend weeks in a self-reported protocol because someone gave me a fucking gift card. But people don't see the problem with the free press taking millions from the federal government and i don't know how to explain that to people who don't get it i know i know but i would i would even say like i take this out of the abstract and i would just say look you're creating perverse incentive it's a perverse incentive problem from my perspective when you have a journalistic outlet that is dependent on subscribers as we are our duty is to the people who cut our checks our duty is to our subscribers and this can create well, except the AV nerds, fuck them. But anyway, and we have to have a relationship with our subscribers, with the people who choose to pay us. 
where we understand that we're providing you a service and we're providing you entertainment, we're providing you with something of value. And we have to have a relationship where we have to be able to say to our those to our, our subscribers as well, we're also going to offend you and we're going to challenge you and you're going to disagree with us. And if you aren't comfortable with that kind of dynamic and relationship, then you probably shouldn't be shelling out money for us because that's that's the only way we can maintain independence and it will limit our subscriber pool as a result. If you don't do that, you run into the subscriber capture problem. This is and the, and the audience capture problem, which we've talked about previously, and a lot of other independent media have fallen into this, where you start producing content that appeals more and more narrowly and extremely to your to your paying audience, because you and then you can't you can't veer away from that, you can't double back on it, you can't challenge any of these assumptions because that's what your audience is paying for, it's what they what they expect. That's a problem. So like. There's no pure way of earning money in, in, in the system. All of these things represent certain um, perils and you have to be aware of that. If you are creating a news outlet that is dependent on corporate social responsibility media and government grants, then the type of content you are going to produce is going to reflect the values and the needs of the sort of people who cut corporate social responsibility checks and cut government grants. If an you know, RPC I, annual donation funds your entire operation and you get a hot scoop that the RBC executive VP of whatever is bad touching the interns, you're probably not going to give that its proper due diligence. I mean, that's that's the most obvious example, but it's actually deeper than that. And we could pick on a couple of media examples that are a bit, how should I say this, grifty. Um, sure. Yeah. No, you, like, you, you the, tailor the, your content yeah, to what it's, the, it's, where the money comes from. It's, but it's not even like, oh, I'm going to not write the bad thing about the RBC exec. It's deeper than that. It's all of the tone and approach to journalism is going to be tailored to a particular kind of worldview. It's going to be tailored to a particular kind of um, sort of thing that that corporate social responsibility officer is going to want to highlight in their annual report. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's going to be like, look at us, we're doing great local, local service journalism, but it's not service journalism that is appealing to an actual audience. It's organic not, it's, existing or audience of human beings. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's journalism that is appealing to a corporate audience of, of funders it's or appealing to yeah, it's teach to the touch. It or it's 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 uh, going to be content that is appealing to the narrow group of people who are reading and cutting those grant checks. And you're going to know all those grant people who are cutting those grant checks. You're going to socialize with them. You're going to make sure they get invited to your galas, and you're going to make sure that you're that that they feel really really great when they pick up your magazine or your online content. It's like look at what wonderful stuff we're producing. And and they're going to be able to report on the wonderful stuff that you're that, that you're producing to their to their own uh, people higher up on on the grant committees. You know what I mean? On the grant boards, right? Like it's it's content that is now fundamentally catered to the people who are cutting the checks, as opposed to content that is fundamentally catered to an audience. And again, I could be mean and pick on a couple of examples of this. Um, I, I know exactly who and what you know exactly who I'm is. talking about when I say this, and it's not and it's not necessarily nefarious. Is in like those organizations wouldn't say a mean thing about their funders. Many of them would, but they're boring. They're boring. They're gray. There's no sparkle to it. There's there's very little shine to it. 
And it's because you can't really be provocative when you're fundamentally right at producing content that's meant to appeal to corporate social responsibility yep. you know, funding. That provo- pro- provocation is not the purpose of the exercise. The government funding is a side note of this, right? It, it, if the government has a vision of what journalism is and they're able to dictate that vision of what journalism is, your version of journalism, their version of journalism is going to have to align in order to maximize your incentive seeking principle. Yep. That's my rant. You know, it's, it's and it's like I said, it's not even it's not even the one thing. It's and not both even of us the, very politely avoided naming the same magazine we're both thinking of. So that's not even the magazine too. There's a couple in my head, but um the other, th- the other thing we wanted to mention, it's sort of, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, Jen, because I honestly don't have that much to say about it, but it's related to what we were just talking about. Um, the uh, online streaming act or online, what, what, what's that thing? C11. So now we're getting what's into it C11. It's, it's the online. Oh, Google this. I okay, you, you Google it while I talk about what it is. You talk about it's it. It's the thing that's going to uh, regulate in Canada uh, online content service providers, Netflix, Apple. I think uh, this is the Act to Amend the Broadcasting Act. The Act to Amend the Broadcasting Okay. So. Or the Online Streaming Act. Is on, the okay, I was right. The Online Streaming Act. It All was right. the Online so Streaming Act, yeah. It's now law, and the government has now given its final instructions on this. I don't want to get tied down in, in, in the pedantic details of this, because I'd probably get them wrong. But basically, the government has now handed it off to the CRTC, which is the arm's length agency, in theory, that will now execute what it has been instructed to do by the government. And the government has instructed it to avoid um, regulating, because remember, we talked about this, very controversial, whether or not podcasters, YouTubers, et cetera, mm-hmm. would, fall mm-hmm. under, sure. would fall under these provisions. And the government has told the CRTC, no, it doesn't. Those people do not fall under this. Go forth and, and, and regulate accordingly. And the CRTC has said, yes, content producers will not fall under this. But there was also this language in their comment where they're like, this is not intended to capture somebody who dances on TikTok or who does baking recipes on YouTube. It's to con it's to capture slick professional public interest commentary publications. What the fuck are we? Exactly. I, I don't the like, idea, the the idea, idea that, that there's some bright line doesn't exist. The bright line doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. The are line we? does not exist. We the limit s- does not exist. The limit does. Okay, now you're quoting. See, I, mean I, girls. I bring out my com badge for like one second and Jen starts quoting Mean Girls at me. I know, it's true. Um, What is, okay, so someone who does YouTube videos of them learning how to play the guitar and you see gradually in each video their progress, they're self-taught playing the guitar. We agree that that is going to be on one side of the spectrum. A podcast produced by the cbc or ctv probably would be on the other side of it what about a badly produced rink-a-dink perf- podcast that's professionally sloppy, produced yeah but it's done by professionals or what about a really slickly produced and very smart podcast by amateurs let's say you get a dentist a plumber and a school bus driver and they invest some of their own money on renting a good podcast studio and the three of them end up having absolutely fantastic thoughtful and well-informed conversations about canadian public policy issues 
Once again, what it's, is that to the CRTC? You're, you're, you're dealing with regulators who aren't familiar with the with the environment they're actually working in, because if they were more familiar with the environment they're trying to regulate, they would know that the line between the professional stuff that would normally fall into the podcast act and the unprofessional stuff that that we're, we're arguing you're, you're you're encompassing here, there you can't draw that line. It's totally arbitrary. The distinction is arbitrary, so, and inevitably because the CRTC is the CRTC. You might start with podcasts produced by the CBC. You're inevitably going to move this line because you cannot fucking help yourselves. Like this is this is the, what we've learned about the CRTC from its inception. Mandate creep is the thing. So, like, like the, do do I think that in ten years they're going to be regulating makeup tutorials? No. Do I think within sixteen months to eighteen to sixteen well, months they're going to be trying? Us. They're going to be coming after us. Yes, they yes. are. Yeah. And I would also say like this doesn't actually fix the issue because yeah, you might not be consciously going after the creators. That may be not your goal. But once you get the distributors, it's done. It's game over, right? Um, so anyway, I, yeah, I don't think this fixes any problems. I don't think this solves any concerns. They should yeah. not be. I, I reiterate my point. They should simply not be in this space. There's no need for them to be in this space. Go the National ahead. Post uh, up on... Post Media Place, forget which floor it's on, 11 or 12, has a really nice complex, uh, you've been in them, of uh, mm -hmm. video and, and audio recording studios. Yeah. And I used to, when I was, uh, my lat, my second and, and thus far final stint at the National Post, uh, I, when I was uh, editing the comment section, I was like a masthead editor, I only worked from the office one or two days a week. And when I was there, on those days, I would go up to the studio, I'd do a video hit, Video hits always had good media engagement, good advertising potential. When the pandemic hit, we couldn't do that anymore. The building was closed. Yeah. So I basically said, like, talk to the video guys. And I'm like, look, we'll just use my this camera right here on my computer. We will use it and we will continue recording my video hits. And these guys were a bit aghast. They're like, oh, but the, like the lighting won't be good and the camera's not great. I'm like, guys. 350 million North Americans are in exactly the same boat as I am. Let's yep. not pretend that it's slickly professional. I will wear, I won't shave. I'll come down in like my bum clothes. Like I'm not going to have my professional microphone on and a freshly pressed collared shirt. I'm going to be slumped in my chair ranting about COVID from my basement. And this is going to be instantly recognizable tens of millions of people mm -hmm. those mm -hmm. videos did incredibly well we just called them the basement tapes you know why because i was in my fucking basement just you're like still in your basement and like basement. so like just so that we're clear what you're producing now is equivalent to what you were producing at the national post and so, i used to do it at a massive media we, organization and now i'm doing it with you like are we professional or are we are you we tell user me. generated content please you tell, tell me, me where CRTC. we exist on this line like so I think what how they're actually going to do this is they're just going to be like, well, how how high up are you on the on on the how successful what is your are revenue? You? But we don't like we don't come anywhere close to the ten million dollar revenue. But like, <laughs> I, don't I never will. But that's fine. Anyway, like, look, I never. Well, maybe. But anyway, um, like and subscribe. Follow us at the line because we're not going to take it, get any government money, and the government's only going to continue to fuck us from here on out. You know what I mean, though? Like, the only difference between the basement tape episodes I was filming for the National Post and this... You're still slovenly and unshaven. You're just a slightly less ranty, and we don't talk about COVID anymore. It's crimmed. 
Don't you so, remember I stopped trimming my beard when I was in lockdown? No. I got I I'll send you that. Okay, you, you know what? You don't need to do that. For viewers, no. we're going to we're going to overlay a picture of how long my beard got because I decided that until the government ended the lockdowns, I was not going to trim my beard. By the end of it, I was either a civil war general or a desert island plane crash survivor. Take your pick. Honestly, this this image sounds about as appealing as a dick pic, but we'll 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 roll with it. Can we move on to the fall economic statement, please? I think we'd better. Before this gets really out of hand. Worse is always possible. Fall economics. Speaking of which. Well, it came out this week and then almost known, like the next day, no one was talking about it because friggin' Niagara kaboom. Well, also, nobody ever really cares that much about the fall economic statement. Look, They're always I mean, the short answer is there's more money for housing, not enough to actually make a difference. Yeah. A uh, $40 billion deficit, which, I mean, considering we're not in a crisis moment, is a lot. Um, it's also not totally economy or uh, economy collapsing catastrophic either we're not going full venezuela yet so oh good yeah oh, good awesome yeah. yeah yeah great um do you want to not talk more full about the... venezuela and more from the line <laughs> not click full venezuela. great click like and subscribe um good job good job everyone yeah i oh, thought it was yeah. interesting because a lot of the economists including some who'd been um, relatively speaking, pessimistic about the economic statement. We're actually pleasantly surprised by the update on where our finances are. And I'm with you. I, I don't love $40 billion deficits either, but apparently kind of the overall fundamentals of the economy are actually looking a bit healthier than we expected. Uh, but I thought to your, you mentioned housing already. I, I, I interviewed on my radio show today, Mike Moffat, uh, kind of mm -hmm. like the leading house, housing authority in the country. The and, dude, the dude yeah, on the housing. Dude. And leading, and we also talked about Mellencamp. We both like Mellencamp, which is something we discovered. Um, but he, in the lead up to the the fall economic statement, had been basically being like, you know, what would be a great idea if the government did the following thirty eight things. Like he had itemized lists of things ready to go. They did very few of them. And I asked mm -hmm. Mike today, uh, "What do you think?" And he goes, "It's not that what they're proposing is bad. Everything they've proposed, as far as it goes, is good." But it's only going to move us this much, and we yeah. need to be moving by miles. Yeah, and it's just not happening. So, no. and it's not going to. So, moving on. Finances are relatively healthy compared to what some people were expecting, and the housing riots will begin any moment. Correct. There, um, there was one thing that I'm going to nitpick about here, and that is whenever I hear Christia Freeland. It's a lot safer when you say this than when I say this. Oh, it's, yeah, I'm probably going to get in trouble for this one, too. Whenever I hear Christia Freeland on responding to the latest economic update or, or giving some talking point about where the government is at, I very frequently hear her do the rounds on CBC in the morning when I'm dropping my kids off. And there's one thing that she was doing, and I'm not trying to say this to be a total bitch. I'm doing this in an attempt to be helpful. That's a very okay. important thing to preface your statement with. It's going to totally work as intended. Proceed. Yeah. Um, thank you. Great. I mean, people know that I'm a really nice person. So there we go. I'm actually trying to say this, like some somebody send this to Christy Freeland because it's something that she does during interviews with journalists that really drives me a little bit nuts. And that is she did this interview with Matt Galloway. I believe it was the current. Matt's great, solid, you know, good. And he was fellow Matt G. Yeah, exactly. He was, uh, by no means was he being super, super hard on her, but he wasn't going easy on her either. He was challenging in her, some, her on, on her assumptions. It was it was about what you would expect from a reasonably challenging interview on the CBC. So he was doing fine. And 
Freeland was responding with, Matt, you and I, I know you know this because you and I have talked about it previously. The carbon tax is revenue neutral. Matt, Matt, Matt. When you say my name like that, I get chills down my spine. That's the bad tone. It's Is it almost like your testicles are like escaping into your body when I talk like that? Yeah. No, Um, you don't need to answer that question. It was just an inappropriate joke. Uh. Look, I understand that it's, I mean, we all have relationships with politicians that are sometimes friendships and are sometimes um, uh, uh, good professional acquaintanceships that exist outside of a public sphere. That is normal. That is absolutely great. Both sides cultivate the other. Both sides cultivate the other. That's fine. But when you are doing a public interview, get your fucking game face on. Like, he's not your friend here in this context. He's a journalist and he's interviewing you and he's being a professional. And when Christia Freeland responds with, oh, Matt, I know you know this because we've talked about this before. What you're communicating to the audience is a lack of respect for the broadcaster. It's a lack of respect for the broadcaster. It's condescending. It's a lack of respect for the audience because the audience wasn't privy to those conversations. And the other thing too, is you're actually undermining the credibility of your interviewer because you're. You're making it sound like he's in on it. You're making it sound like he's in on it. Um, I don't think that that's what she was intending to do. I just don't think she's good enough at media to understand that that's what she was doing. Yeah. But it was really, really disrespectful to Matt. I don't think Matt would read it that way, but I read it as being disrespectful to Matt Galloway. I read it as being unprofessional on her part. And I read it as her being really condescending both to him and to the audience as a whole. And holy shit, she should not do that. Like, and I would say this to all politicians. Yes, you were going to have pre-existing relationships with journalists outside of a public space. That's fine. Go for beers, be as friendly as you want. That's great. When you were in interview mode, you are on air and you need to accept that the relationship that you have with that journalist is a fundamentally different one on air. That journalist has a responsibility to challenge you and check you. And you need to get, as I said, just get your game face on, just accept that, move on. And then once the interview's over, you can go back to having a friendly relationship. That's fine. But I, that just annoyed the hell out of me. It really annoyed me that she did that to him. And it really annoyed me that she didn't understand at this. She's been in public life long enough. She's been a journalist herself. She should understand this and she should understand how inappropriate it is, it is to be doing stuff like that in an interview at this point. And, and I find it very annoying and weird that she doesn't know that. Anyway, that was my, it's a nitpicky thing. It's a really nitpicky thing. It just annoyed me. Um. Well, allow me to offer actually maybe some commentary that will add a, just a little bit of um of of meat to the the bones of the nitpick but um something that i think is interesting in recent years uh in the last two years as liberal fortunes have declined is that there is more discussion about whether or not there should be a justin trudeau successor mm-hmm. and i don't think that's likely and i also don't think anyone who would succeed him would likely do a better job but the point i'm making here is that um Five years ago, a lot of people thought that Christopher Freeland was the successor in waiting. I don't think anybody thinks that anymore. And I'm even given to understand that Christopher Freeland doesn't even think that anymore. Christopher Freeland's now thinking more abroad in terms of what her next act will be. Yep. And one of the things I just find fascinating about this, as as hard as I'll, I'll give that government a hard time, 
never really gave Krista Freeland a hard time. Like she's never really in any way, particular way drawn my ire. I think she's been a, a competent, reasonably yeah, she's effective been, she's minister. One of and the few competent ministers and therefore not the person I'd pick on. I've never target locked her. There's never nope. been really any particular reason to. Um, nope. To the extent that I can recall ever saying anything substantive about Krista Freeland's performance, it was uh, laudatory because she gave a really interesting speech over a year ago at the Brookings Institution, which will be soon featured in an upcoming Matt Gurney column here at the line. Subscribe today. Mm-hmm. But one of the things, even as I as I say these generally laudatory things about Krista Freeland, one of the things I'm going to add to that that has become increasingly clear even to the people who like her, even especially even the weirdos who went all girl boss on her, and they're like every time she like there were there were these weird people who years ago were like tweeting pictures about like her stride, and it's like stop, like no, don't do that. Like when she's walking into the house to give the budget, don't talk to me about her fucking shoes and how confident she looks striding down the sidewalk. Stop it. You're not helping her. You're hurting her. Yeah. So even setting those weirdos aside, there seems to have been a gradual realization that what, how, however much firepower she's got that noggin of hers, however competent she's been as a cabinet minister, her retail political skills are atrocious. And they haven't improved. And they ha- and that's exactly it. They have five improved. years ago. You could have looked at her and gone, "Yeah, she's a great minister. She's we'll real- work on this. We got time to work on this." Yeah, it's been eight years. I, and I remember the last the last time she did the CBC interview, she was talking about biking, responding to the the carbon tax stuff by how she bikes just to work every day. And takes she the bikes every day in Toronto and takes the subway. Like nice. She- that's. That's great. Great that you live in downtown Toronto in a house that none of the listeners could afford in a city none of your listeners listen to. I mean, I, you know, I, it was, it was the smiley face version of the Pierre Polyev look at this shack fuck up. Yeah. It was like, it's the exact same thing. Yes. The liberals yes. do it with a big smiley face sticker plastered on their face. Yes. And I, I honestly think, and this is like, look, Christopher Freeland has been a steady hand during the uh, the pandemic, um, during the convoy. I think she's been an, um, uh, an unusually good advocate for Ukraine during the mm-hmm. war. Agreed. But you know what she's going to be remembered for? Disney Plus. Yeah, Disney Plus. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Anyway, yeah, you're totally right. Like I said, it's it's not it's not fair. It isn't fair. And as I said, this isn't a this isn't a, a gendered critique at all. Um, it would be very annoying to me if a male politician did exactly the same thing that made exactly the same mistakes that she was making. It, this isn't, this really isn't, a, I'm trying not to perceive this as a gendered way. Um, but I just, for someone with her background and her time in public life to be, to not understand that you're on air now and you need to put on a presentation here to think that you're Bad. having some kind of intimate related conversation with a buddy like it's it's very no bueno not good it's no bueno and that that's it's bad right it's just bad retail politician skills and it isn't fair because she is smart and she is confident but if you can't get this after however many years in politics you know well. you're not going to do well and yep. and that's just what it is and i think five years ago look five years ago when i pointed out to people that christian freeland all her public remarks sound like a kindergarten teacher wrangling a particularly difficult class. Yeah. There were people were pissed. Oh, that's that's sexist. Matt doesn't like the sound of her tone. Five years later, no one thinks of Freeland as a natural Trudeau successor. Cause even the no. fangirls know that she's terrible, an important part of the job. And, and it is an important part of the job. 
And it's sad yeah. that that's so important that it is. But yeah, and I think Mr. Anyway. Trudeau is good at that part of the job. He's great at that part of the job, you know? Anyway, uh, I, I just, me nitpicking, I'm just being a jerk. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize to everyone I've offended. I I understand Club, what I said. AV Club veterans, finance minister and deputy prime minister of Canada. Anyone else today? I'm really very likable, Matt. People like me a lot. Okay. Like and subscribe the line. Like and subscribe like and the subscribe line. The line. Look, every speaking of, speaking every of like, like on this YouTube video, we will interpret as one person telling Jen Gerson that they are personally fond of her. Thank you. I I will. In fact, um, so last thumbs down and have no out, meaning. No one. No thumbs down will not be taken as can't. Anyway, um, last thing I wanted to talk about was the Argentinian election. How am I going to pronounce this dude's name? I have not paid any. I think it's Mealy or I've paid Mealy. no attention. How to do this. I pronounce his name? See, this is also the problem with um, Javier Mealy. Javier Mealy. This is the problem with being print people is that we have we don't really know how to pronounce shit. terrible pronunciation, especially yeah. on names. Um, and I also often gloss over names because I know I can always go back and insert them later. So this is a real failing on my part, and I'm what? going to own it. When anyway, I write my columns, they are littered with XXX, XXX. which is, to be clear, not a pornographic reference. That is a go back later and insert name of person who I don't remember right now, but I don't want to break the flow of my writing. Correct. Right. Yes. So and then that doesn't work when you're trying to interpret podcast. that in a podcast. It doesn't work at all. Anyway, I should have had that written down here. Javier um, Millet. Look, so a lot of people That's are the last out. person you've pissed off. Yeah, Freeland? exactly. Look, lots AV of nerds? people. Millet? I'm not going to piss off Millet. I think he's funny. Anyway, um, look, there's a lot of people who are highlighting the fact that Javier Millet is very obviously an unhinged lunatic who talks to his dead dog. This is true. Um, however, can I just go into a side note about Twitter for one second about some things I was doing. So I, I kind of shit posted something to the effect of maybe he'll be fun. Crazy. Can I just say when I post these things, if you follow me on Twitter, could you please start taking this stuff 20% less seriously? Okay. I beg of you. I beg of you to start taking every stupid, like smart ass comment I make on Twitter at full seriousness. I promise you, Literally no one is taking Jen Gerson's opinion on Presidente Lucha, Lucha Libre that seriously. You can let it the fuck go. It's, 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 it is. It's just me making a sardonic little quip. That's all it is. Okay? Calm your shit. Um, but anyway, there was one thing that really annoyed me about this is that I got a couple of responses from people who went all concern troll and said, well, it's very easy for you to make quips. What about the poor people of Argentina? And I'm like, yeah, the poor people of Argentina who checks notes democratically elected this dude because in a checks notes, fair and free election. Yes, very poor people of Argentina. This is a real moment of national tragedy that we need to commiserate with them for. Look, if you want to have a conversation about how bad Argentina must be, that Mile is your way out, that is what I feel bad about for the people of Argentina. Like how how shitty has this country been run for however many years that you're looking at dead dog whisperer and thinking that's the best option I've got. Okay, like, yeah, sure. But until then, you're concerned trolling, fuck off, all right? We're allowed to make slightly funny jokes about the slightly crazy unhinged president that Argentina has just elected. 
Oh, and by the way, I also have no problem with the plan to abolish the central bank or dollarize Argentina when you're looking at a country that's dealing with 143% inflation. That doesn't that doesn't even strike me as an unreasonable policy. I don't see. I don't. I don't have the econ background to even know if that's doable. But there are other Latin American. Oh yeah, countries there's, that there's, use t- there's tons US of other currency. countries that dollarize. Yes, like there's Panama. Of... I know has its currency, but it uses U.S. dollars. I think Ecuador uses U.S. dollars. I, I, uh, I don't and you can also handy, you, but... you can also just peg your currency to the U.S. dollar. So which is a, yeah. Which yeah, which is what, what Panama did. The Panamanian what, Balboa is is one to one to the U.S. dollar. It's one to one, or or when I, mean, I was in the Middle East, it was three. It was like something three point six five dirham to the dollar, right? Yeah. And the reason why you do that is so that you you diminish your country's capacity to print money. To fuck up. Yeah, which and not all countries yep. have central banks. Okay, there's a reason why they don't, and and dollarization makes perfect sense. And when you're in a position like Argentina is in, where it's previously far left governments printed a lot of money leading to its current situation of massive inflation eliminating the central bank in that context makes a lot of sense okay it's I don't know it's a it's 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 a rational it's a rational response to the situation it's also perfectly rational for a country like argentina to want closer ties to the west great welcome to the club argentina this is a good option now does that mean everything that he says is sane or rational that, or that he's not going to implement the thing you were doing there don't cry for me, Argentina. No, but you were doing the arms. Was that actually an Evita thing? No, it wasn't. I didn't mean to. Maybe I was subconsciously like channeling Madonna there. Who knows? Anyway, um, the point is, is like, like yeah, sure, maybe he's going to implement some crazy policies that will be terrible and will lead to the horrible whatever. But I think when you're in Argentina, you're so far down the tube that at this point, it's two and a half, one doesn't know the other. Yeah. Um. Anyway, that's that was my big rant on Argentina. Don't cry for us, Argentina. Uh, you the know other, what? The, the other the other side note I wanted to make is one of the, the his big viral clip, clips is when he was going through all of these um, uh, government departments and going, oh, fuerta, fuerta, we're getting rid of this. We're getting rid of this. We're getting rid of this. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that's an extreme position. Mm. But can I point out that the, the proliferation of government ministries and portfolios is is an absolute plague right across the Western world? And what I can name 10 ministers. Do we have 40? 37, I think. Now. Yeah. I, I can name 15 government departments that I would eliminate or merge tomorrow if I were in charge. He's not totally out to lunch on this shit. <laughs> and there is the clip that will haunt Jen Gerson for the next 20 years. Um, totally. Right. The thing, yeah. I want to wrap this up because I, um, well, you know what? When I run out of drink, the podcast is over uh, and I just finished my drink. But okay. I will also say on the concern trolling, anytime. Someone tries to concern troll me. I just take it up a level. I just go, why are you tweeting me, me about this and not starving children in Afghanistan? Like you just, I just don't yeah. give an inch on that. It's just like, there is no concern trolling that I will not counter with better concern trolling. I, and I actually annoying. guarantee you that. Because that fuck my, you. Yeah. Well, and not only that, but bluntly, my stupid ass opinion in Canada doesn't matter. I'm sorry to say this. No, it matters. It matters in certain contexts, and there's certain contexts in which I have to tweet more carefully and more seriously. It matters to you. But like, if I have a funny, stupid opinion about Javier Mille, it doesn't matter. It will make no difference. No difference at all. No one, no serious person. Not one word from these people about what's happening in the Congo. Yeah, exactly. It's like they don't even know what's happened to the Antarctic. Don't you even know what's happening in Sudan right now? Right now. Right now. Now. Right now. (laughs) All right. Well, that's an unusual way to end a podcast, but I got nothing else. We're unusual people. True.
Have a great weekend, everybody.